Limited mileage. Hello, is it me you're looking for? Hello there, friends, new friends, strangers, acquaintances. Second and third tier friends, people that know people, people you may know, people I know, friends of friends of friends. My name is Greg Hoy. This is my podcast, Limited Mileage. Welcome. My guest today is Vicki Warwick. And Vicki, let me tell you, uh, I am fortunate. I meet a lot of great people. And the ones I really like and the ones that really have an impact on me, they, they don't go away. And Vicky, uh, Vicky is a bass player I met by accident. I almost said on accident, my Western Pennsylvania upbringing by accident. Last summer, uh, we had a tour planned, my band, and the bass player couldn't make it. Uh, for some personal reasons and I reached out to my network and Vicky's name came to me from someone I trust that first phone call with Vicky first of all Vicky has an incredible voice which at the end of this drunken ending of this podcast conversation I explained to her that I'm excited for her new podcast which is coming up um, but her voice is great. And the phone call we had was super profesh and we, t- we hashed out the logistics. Meanwhile, you know, Vicky's talking to me and, and she's played with some really well-known people. She's toured with Charlie XCX. She's played with the Thompson twins, Tom Bailey. She's been on TV with a bunch of people, CeeLo Green, Rod Stewart, Cindy Lauper. Um, she's been on Saturday Night Live. I mean, legit, legit musician in the strata. And here she is talking to little old Greg Hoy, who has a van with an extra seat in it for a rock and roll tour. And that first call, uh, I knew I was going to like her. I just felt it. It's part of uh, one of my superpowers. And sure enough, here we are uh, almost a year later. And, you know, we're both stuck in this quarantine hell with the rest of the world. And we talk about all kinds of stuff. So I'm excited for you to listen to her. Um, very talented, very professional, which we talk about. Um, we did have gin and tonics. That was the drink we decided upon for our long distance conversation. She's in LA. I'm here in Northern California mountains. Mountain. That's well, like a small mountain. Anyway, I'm excited for you to hear it. And thank you, Vicki. I'll say that now. Um, you're just, you know, you're a good human and I'm glad you're in my life and I'm excited to follow along on your new podcast, which we talk about. How's everybody doing? How are things? Here we are a couple months away from the old normal and a couple months into the new normal. Do you feel normal? Me neither. It's very weird. Uh, what have I been up to? Uh, had a baby. Thank you. I'm a new dad. Um, Very interesting time to become a father during all of this stuff and have, uh, you know, my wife be pregnant Um, her last four or five months 
during lockdown. In some ways it was easy because what do you, at least what I, one of the things I worried about was I was going to miss out on quote unquote, miss out on life uh, while she was pregnant and while we had the baby surprise, this is life. Welcome. Um, That's been good. I managed to record right uh, I wrote about seven songs and then recorded 11 songs with my dear friend, Jason Sloda drummer uh, lives in Oakland, California. And my dear friend, Jacob Winnick, the engineer, we managed to go to tiny telephone uh, for a week during quarantine. We had to s- kind of sneak in, took each other's temperature, tried to judge whether masks were on or off. Um, the beauty of a big recording studio is you are pretty far apart. Uh, Ian Miller, uh, a, a, a very talented uh, musician and a good human that I met randomly on an airplane years ago, uh, graciously learned the songs in three days and played bass on the record. So um, that's been occupying me and the masters for those that know what a master is are done. I finished them yesterday with another talented man, Steve Turnage uh, up in Seattle. We did a zoom call and sequenced the thing doing vinyl, doing videos, doing all the things to keep myself sane. And by sane, I mean relatively sane. Um, a lot of politics out there stay away. Just stay away. Stay high level. Um, be the moon, be the moon. I am the moon around the earth. I see all it affects me, but I still rotate around the earth. There's my Zen, my Zen cone for the day. Uh, not a very good one, but you know what? Let's not judge. Um, sleep. How's your sleep? My sleep has been okay. We have been gracious that the universe provide us with a non colicky, relatively easy quote unquote infant. Um, and I'll tell you the distraction of having a child. It's been pretty good. It's, it's been a good thing to get me out of my head and stay grounded with the reality of now keeping a human alive besides me, besides my dogs, Uh, I would count my wife, but she's pretty good at it by herself. So um, building, building a a new recording room in the house, uh, mixing room, mastering room. I'm going to be going through a lot of recordings from the past 20 years and freshening them up, remastering them and biggening them, as I like to say, and putting them on the Internet where they belong for all of eternity or until, you know, the meteor hits us or the ice freezes everything or whatever other, uh, major catastrophic event you're reading about late at night, laying in bed. If you're like me, I wish you much energy, positive energy, creative energy. Um, all I can say is making stuff is the best way for me. Even if it's cooking dinner or hanging a painting, um, keep yourself safe and keep yourself sane. You know, it's important. Like we at least owe the world our best version of self. So without further ado, here is my 
one of my newest and dearest friends, Vicky work bass player, extraordinaire soon to be podcaster extraordinaire and cheers to those gin and tonics. I think we only had one or did we take a break? I think we only had one. I had a big pour though, Vicky. So enjoy. Hey everybody. Welcome to the limited mileage podcast. This is Greg and I am here with my dear friend, bass player extraordinaire, Vicky Warwick, or if you're American, Vicky Warwick. Hi, Vicky. <laughs> Hello. I just uh, talked Greg through how to say my name in an English sense, and it sounded rather Spinal Tap-esque, but uh, that was that was great. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> I, I am of the generation that learned a lot of my uh, fake British accent from Spinal Tap proudly. It's a good place to start, for sure. Yeah, Nigel Tufnell taught me an mm -hmm. English accent, which I guess if you think about it, he's also an American doing a British accent. So right. I'm getting it. So yeah, it's a bit backwards to learn it that way, but it's still good, I think. Well, I'm a little older than you. And growing up, when you heard a British accent, like I would read all the magazines, like all the interviews in Rolling Stone and NME and Spin. And it would, you know, I'd try to read like an interview with Ray Davies and imagine his British accent, like how he was talking. <laughs> Because we didn't have the video. We didn't have the, you know, the access that, that right. we have you had today. to use your imagination. <laughs> right. But I met you um, last summer. I My band was getting ready to go on tour. My bass player abruptly uh, could not do it. And uh, our mutual friend, Alex Nolan, recommended I reach out to you. She said, this bass player is amazing. You will love her. And she was not wrong. No. I'm glad. <laughs> I was I was just glad you're available because uh, your resume is astounding. Tell just I'm, I was going to say it, but talk about like just just give us a little rundown. I know that it's it's anti your your culture to brag a little bit. Give us a rundown <laughs> of some of the people that you have shared the stage with as a bass player. Let's, let's drop some names. We'll pick them up. We'll drop and pick them up. Um, okay, so yeah, I. The names that I put on my resume are Charlie XCX. Um, I've worked with Guy Chambers in the UK, who is a, a very wonderful songwriter. Very wonderful songwriter. Yeah, that's correct. I just forgot how to speak English then. Sorry. Uh, that's a okay. Very, <laughs> a very great songwriter. And uh, gosh, who else? Josh Kumra. Um, I worked with Production House Xenomania. I've worked with Hayley Steinfeld, Tom Bailey of the Thompson Twins, um, and just uh, so many other artists. I've probably forgotten a really important one there, and I'm going to no, kick it's myself okay. Into, but, um, I, Rod Stewart, did you work included. with Rod Stewart? Did you work with work with Rod Stewart? I I did, I did some TV with Rod. Yes, so I, I appeared with him on a couple of UK TV shows, um, and he was as charming as you would hope he would be. Oh God, and I love Rod. Don't don't tell me a bad Rod story. Don't ruin my no, image. No, like thankfully I don't have one. He was <laughs> he was really cool. So yeah, um, yeah. I've done lots of bizarre TV shows in the UK with with people like him and Cindy Lauper and CeeLo Green, um, which is which is just yeah, so much fun. So yeah. I, I had. I, I did a podcast with someone, I won't say who, and after the mics were off, I asked this person who had played with some some well-known musicians to give me some dirt. And the dirt this person told me 
it will never leave. Like I will never listen to this. <gasps> the person she told me this dirt about, I will never listen to their music the same again. Oh no. <laughs> in a, in a, but, in a bad way. Right. Yeah. It wasn't flattering, but it was also like this person spoke of this musician as nicely as possible. But the things that were said, I was like, wow, like people like this still exist in a world where everyone can, you know, find out what someone is like. There's still not, not nice people I out there. Say, I think it's, it's, yeah. Oh, that's such a shame. I was going to say, I think it is harder now. And I, and I, you know, I always think it's sort of part of the discussion is like, you know, do we actually want our rock stars to be nice people, you know, to be yeah. somebody like Mick Jagger or, you know, whoever you've almost got to be a bit of a dickhead perhaps, but I don't know. But I mean, I'm, you know, I'm always on the, on the side of, of, of people being as nice as you can. And I think David Bowie is an excellent example of that. Um, and lo lots of people. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a discussion. There's something, yeah, about having that bravado and being of a dickhead, but hopefully it's a thing that just can stay on stage. You know, I was, I have an actor friend who worked with a famous actress and her eight, her, her personal assistant had little cards printed up that said this actress's name is sorry she offended you. And he would give these out on the set after this actress would have tantrums. She would have these huge tantrums on set. And then he would come running up and say, this actress is, is sorry. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, kind yeah, of, it, that's quite a nice idea, really. <laughs> uh, but okay, we get, there's one level where it's like, I know that I'm being an asshole, but there's another level where you're not really doing anything to change the behavior, you know, you should try to like, maybe be a little nicer. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's no excuse really to, to not be nice anymore. So I don't know why people do it. You know, some, sometimes people just like to be, I don't know, a little mean, a little grumpy, right? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think like Christian Bale, I suppose is a, a good example of. <laughs> so what, as, as someone who gets hired to play with, with these sort of lead people, you know, someone that ends up being, um, you know, a, a musician in, in people's bands and, and oftentimes people that already have a career already have some established uh, name. What is it like stepping into that role and knowing that they're you're representing them like you're a part of what their persona is at any given time that you're on stage with them? Like talk, talk to people like me who haven't really, I mean, I've, I've played as a side person. I'll, I'll say that phrase, uh, in other people's bands, but what's it like when you're like on television or you're like on like a huge festival? Like, what is that feeling like? Like talk, talk us through a little bit. I think the way, the way I look at it is perhaps why I am a side person at this moment and, and have been rather than, than an artist. I think there's something about playing a supporting role. And I think maybe, you know, I kind of joke with, with other drummers and bass players because, you know, seemingly all my close friends are drummers and bass players. And even, you know, a deep, another layer within the band, I think we're definitely the most like supporting characters in uh, the, yeah. so the, the supporting role in the band. So I think, I really love to be part of a of a bigger project and be somebody's and and be there on stage knowing that I'm there for somebody else. It's kind of like I 
I don't know. Yeah, that's, I'm getting deep deep into into me now. But I think that I, <laughs> I think that I will work harder for somebody else than I would for myself. That sounds kind of Ooh. mad, doesn't it? But you know, yeah, no. I know. And suddenly I'm getting deep. But do you know what I mean? I think if I feel responsible for somebody else's show or somebody else's job, then that's really they're relying on me. And um, I'd like to think that maybe that's the the trait that that is why I'm a session musician is that I, I think I'm reliable and I, when I want to work hard for some, for somebody else, not to say I don't work hard for my own projects and my own endeavors, sure. but there's something about being handed over that trust and, you know, that you want to take that and run with it and, and do a great job. So yeah, I, I, I love it. I would say like multiple times uh, last fall when you came and played in my band, you were the bass player in my band. I would say, oh, Vicky knows this better than we do. She knows it better than me who wrote it. She knows it better than the drummer who may or may not have played on it, Dave. And I think there is something to that trust that it was so endearing for me. I mean, I liked you as a person right away, which is weird because I was in a space as someone who was looking to to fill fill the role, fill the role of bass player. And I wanted to make sure I got some a great musician. But for me, like it matters almost as much because of who I am as a person that I like that person. Like I'm not the type of person that just wants someone to show up and play the parts. And I think the thing that blew me away about you was I, as soon as we talked on the phone, you were so professional, which is is really funny now. (laughs) Like, like looking back on like the first half hour we spent on the phone and like what we talked about. Um, and then, you know, spending, you know, weeks in a van together and, and, and hanging out. Um, I liked you and I could tell that you took a lot of pride in being the best musician for that role, whatever it is. And I think that that's, I got to tell you is like me who's played with a couple, I don't know, hundred people at this point, like that's really rare. That's a rare quality. Oh, I appreciate all that. That's really kind. Yeah. I think, I think that's it. I think, you know, like you said, yeah. Oh, you, like I know him better than you, but it's like it's your project. So you're you're allowed to to not know all the, all the lyrics to your song. But you know, when somebody has right. tr- trusted me with their project and their music, then yeah, I wanna. I don't want to do it a disservice. I want to know it the best I can. And I think that's just like as a professional musician, I just think that's the bar I set for myself. Like, well, how can I call myself a professional musician if I? don't know this inside out and I, and I don't prepare in every which way I can. And yeah. And again, like I said, it's, it's taking that trust that somebody's given you and showing that you, you can, you can be trusted with it. Now I, I bookmarked what you said a little earlier about working on your own stuff. And I want to talk about that. So you release stuff under the name Ainsley, A-I-N-S-L-I-E, right? Did I get that right? Yes. Yes, um, by the way, everybody, we're drinking. We decided to drink gin and tonics during this podcast. Like so you hear me, my my eyes clinking. Then <laughs> I well, so I've been I've been drinking when you're talking, but I haven't really given you a chance. So I did. <laughs> um, I'm drinking. He- drink. I'm drinking Hendrix, and I have. Uh, I'm actually using a sugar-free tonic because uh, oh, I have been mean? a fiend. I'm I'm just trying to like lose a a, a shit ton of weight during COVID it's like my, it's my goal is to like, when I finally hit the stage again, I want to be wearing the pants 
the leather well, pants. This, that this is wonderful. <laughs> the leather pants. There's this wonderful thing with COVID <laughs> where it's kind of like, it's like when you don't see somebody for a while, you know, like maybe if I don't see, you know, a family member for a while and, and that, that length of time apart makes them go, oh, you've lost weight because they've, they haven't seen you in, in a while. So they realize rather, you know, if they saw you frequently every month, they might not realize. But so it's like having that comeback out of COVID and being like, yeah. I didn't just sit on the couch. Look at me. Here's the transformation. Well, it, it is and so many, healing. yeah, so many people are gaining weight, and I'm like, I don't want to be the guy right. that gains weight. Right. I want to. I know. I want to be the guy. Anyway, so I'm I'm drinking the diet tonic, but I want to go back to where I was, which is your own work. Which, by the way, that single, I, I think it's the latest single that you released. Um, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I listened to it multiple times. It's in my, one of my workout playlists. This all ties together. Um. How, when you say, you know, when you're doing your own thing and you have one sort of mindset about it, and then when you're playing with other people, maybe talk a little about how uh, your brain sort of switches. And and I'm asking that selfishly because I am very similar. And, and it, I remember a, a specific point in my musical career where I decided not to play with other people anymore, where I just said to myself... I'm only going to do my own thing and whether it sucks or not, and it could suck, but at least I can, this is one thing that I can focus on. So I'm curious, like how does your brain shift and what are some of the, the differences that you're feeling um, when you're say writing a song for yourself versus maybe learning a baseline for another artist? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, yeah, certainly having that level of focus, I can see why you chose to do that. Um, I think the biggest shift is, like just having so much more personal thoughts and worries about it, you know, <laughs> like I think yeah, a lot of artists can relate. Obviously when it's your own stuff, you've, you know, obviously got lots more opinions about it and it's a lot more of a, you know, tumultuous time to create music and yeah, just make decisions on things. Whereas when, you know, I'm working for somebody else, it's, it's easier in a sense, you know, I, I get given the, the songs and I learn them and I turn up and, and I play them and work out anything else we need to work out in rehearsal. And then, um, yeah, that's it really. But, um, do you, I don't want to lead you on, but do you think maybe some of it is focus? And I, I use that in a, in a very real way. Cause when you're, when you're doing your, like you're making your song, you're not only thinking about like the arrangement, the production, the music, the lyric, the melody, whatever you're thinking about, all these different things. Then you got to think about the marketing, the PR, like how you're going to get the song out. Whereas when you just show up for someone else's stuff, you don't have to think about any of that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that's it with the bass. Obviously, I'm focusing on one area, but when I'm writing for myself, not only am I playing the bass, but I'm playing the other instruments and I'm, you know, writing and arranging and doing the lyrics and producing and, and and yeah doing it's just yeah it's so much more of a bigger project so I think um and at this stage you know with my music it's it's a you know it's me I don't have I don't have a manager at the moment like it's 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 me doing everything so yeah certainly it's it's um yeah I mean yeah I mean practically speaking it's just yeah a different thing because you've got you, you've got to be motivated to do it it's you know your own business you know where yeah. me playing for other people is you know like me turning up for a shift at work do you know what I mean obviously it's totally. not quite as simple as that but yeah there's it's certainly 
maybe simpler in some ways but um yeah yeah but i think there's also a shift because it's a different thing you know me playing bass is great and, and really fun and i have a great time but obviously me doing my own project is about being more creative and and writing more and not having any boundaries not having any anything to hold me back from going in one direction or the other so right. that's really exciting and i think you know there's sort of two wonderful feelings that i get from doing what i do and you know one of them is playing on a big stage with a huge audience and and just feeling that i'm exactly where i'm meant to be in the world but also being in the studio writing and making a song with somebody that's my own and and yes it's it's a you know a completely different experience to be the creator of something and so yeah i've been leaning into that a lot more over the last few years what that's a good segue into what we're going through right now which is how you know we we had a tour plan that got canceled mm -hmm. everything's getting canceled that's live anything that's in front of an audience and most of the musicians I know, I'm sure you're included in this, we're figuring out ways to still have that sort of collaborative spirit, even though we're all just sitting in our rooms working. What are some of the tips and tricks that maybe you've come up with? Because uh, I know you've still been working. I've still been working, although I've cheated. And I you went to the studio last week, right? Or was it two weeks ago? Like about, about a month ago now. But yeah, no, I had one session where, you know, we yeah. got COVID tests and... Um, you know, did it as safely as possible. And yeah, it was, it was in incredible, but yeah, a, a rare occurrence these days. Did you feel a little naughty? Cause we all felt a little naughty being in the studio. Like we weren't supposed to be there. Yeah. I think I didn't feel so naughty because they were, you know, the protocol around it was, was really good. I felt, you know, yeah, certainly that was the first thing. Yeah. I mean, this was, mm -hmm. this was in June. So it, I feel like now, Same. even though the situation hasn't changed and the numbers haven't changed, for whatever reason, now it feels a little bit a little bit more normal to be yeah. doing a, you know a few more things. But certainly back then, I really hadn't left the house much at all. And <laughs> yeah, it did it did it did feel naughty. It did feel, well, yeah, maybe like I said, naughty. It wasn't exactly naughty because yeah, I felt safe. I felt that yeah. everybody had taken the right procedures in order to, to do the session, but it just felt strange more than anything. Just, just super yeah. bizarre. But I want to say sure, a long, good. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm sure it was the same for you, but it was just, yeah, life affirming, you know, it was just such a wonderful time and just appreciated it so much more. The thing that I think we all realized, well, the first day was we were just freaked out. I don't know why, mm. just because all of us had been cooped up, but what you realize, strange, yeah, but what you realize is um, recording in a studio, you're generally socially distancing, even without a, a, a quarantine. Like yeah. we all were in our little rooms, you know, there was a, the big room with the drums. Bass player was like way off in the corner. Like we weren't even near each other. But the idea, I think this is, this is the big takeaway I had. We, the idea that I felt weird and, and guilty is not the word, but I felt a little, uh, responsible, you know, at the time the drummer had a couple babies and, you know, I didn't want anyone to get sick. And the idea that we're being made to feel that way to make art is just so fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, I was like, why, why are we all somehow being made to feel bad to make art? 
And I think that's what, yeah. Sorry, go on. I no, I no, go ahead. It. I had I was just gonna rant, so you go. I, I, I just, just that's the way I felt. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Well, I think you know, especially back then in June, I think we were just made to feel guilty about doing anything, really. You know, um, but yeah, certainly to create art, it's it's difficult. You know, there's an awful lot we can do over the internet, but yeah, being in a studio, playing at the same time in a room of people, there's just no replacement for that. So yeah. it's really difficult. I think, you know, you just have to do all you can to be safe. And unfortunately, if you're high risk and you just can't take those risks, then then you can't. And that and that really sucks. So yeah, it's just really, it's, yeah, it's really difficult. Well, you had mentioned something that, that triggered me, which is time and the idea of how time is right now. And I, I'll talk about my own experience for a second. I, at the beginning of the, like, like April, May time, I was committed to, you know, doing some piece of something every day, like making a little, you know, quirky video for the internet or trying to write or something. And then as things went on, um, I did some bigger things. Then we had the baby two weeks ago. And now let me tell you, time is like, I have no idea. Like it could be any time of day or night right now. But I think the, the thing that I am it's a double-edged sword. Part of me kind of loves how freeform <laughs> we've gotten, uh, you know, where like days are nights and nights are days. But I think the other side of that is at least for me without a deadline, without some sort of discipline, for example, I set, you know, here's the week we'll be in the studio. Here's the day we're going to mix. Here's the, the, you know, the date I want to release the first single without having that cadence for myself. I, I don't know that I would ever get anything done. Yeah. Yeah. I think this time has really taught us to, yeah, try and keep some kind of schedule or or structure. Um, yeah, it's, it's insane. It's, it's awfully difficult. And yeah, I can't imagine what it's now been like, yeah, this has been a wild time for you. You've already had the kind of time warp of, of COVID (laughs) and now you've got the time warp of, of having a baby. I mean, I've always, I've always imagined post baby how long like 30 minutes to yourself must feel so yeah and i i think what's too what's cool about it is and i'm going to compare this to like us and being like when you're in a band mm-hmm. like here's here's the third member <laughs> that just shows up and great pedigree you know great references uh still no idea what if the personality if you're going to get along you know and uh <laughs> you're talking about you gotta, child I'm talking about my child. I don't know my child. My child doesn't know me. This is really true. But we just, we don't know each other. I will tell you this. um, This is a funny thing that happened. We, we, when I, we moved into this house and I, I always promised myself when I had the space, I would get a Steinway. So I found a 1922 uh, Steinway B. It was just, you know, it was one of those moments I got on Craigslist. It was there. The guy was two miles away and it was like fate. So I got this piano it was total serendipity and you've seen some pictures. We have a beautiful view of, of a mountain and we put the piano in and in the mornings, uh, during the, during the, the quarantine, Kristen, my wife, uh, we'd make coffee and she would sit down next to the piano. I would play the piano, you know, Aww. just sit and play. And every time I played the piano, uh, the child we now know as Parker, the girl, cause we didn't know if it was a girl or a boy, uh, would would like move around. So I would play the piano, wow. the child would move. So this became like a thing for us. Oh, cool. Let's play the piano. Let's get the kid. So then uh, Kristen, my wife, 
uh, went to uh, Lake Tahoe for a couple of days and I stayed up late one night and I drank a bottle of wine and I recorded like six improv songs on the piano and put it up on Bandcamp like silently. Like here's a little piano. It's called Piano for Baby. So then Kristen would play that at night when Aww. the baby was like, so the baby would be like wrestling around and be trying to go to bed and she'd just, she'd just play it off her phone off and it band would still camp, be moving. and it would still, and it would just quiet the baby. Like the baby wow. would just quiet down. So incredible? I'm telling you this only because I think that music is the universal language. Even the child can't speak, but we're already speaking through music. I played Abbey road by the Beatles for her uh, two days ago. And she immediately calmed down and she was listening. Like, it's a very interesting, uh, it's an interesting band member to add. (laughs) (laughs) That's so incredible. I'm really, I'm really moved by, by hearing that. That's really, um, that's really wonderful. God. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really powerful. Really good stuff. Um, I'm holding off on the nine inch nails vinyl uh, (laughs) that I just, I, I just got some, some older nine inch nails. I got the, I got the Watchmen soundtrack. Which wow. I don't know. Have you watched Watchmen on HBO? I've not. No. Oh, it's good. It so good. Oh, okay. it's so good. And and Nine Inch Nails did the soundtrack for it. And I, I they had like three vinyls. And of course, I've been buying way too many vinyls uh, <laughs> during the quarantine. But but the vinyls came in, and I said to I said to Kristen, my wife, I said, uh, "Do you think she's ready for a little Nine Inch Nails?" Yeah. And she was like, "I I think we should start with some some Beatles and some." Jim O'Rourke and, and, and so far that's, and she also likes, uh, she likes Jim James from my morning jacket. She also has reacted positively. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. good. So who's we're easing her in. Yeah. He's her in <laughs> some, uh, Speaking- Enya maybe. <laughs> no Enya. No Enya. Speaking of, you know, one of the things that, um, I think we did talk a little about when we were on tour, but I, I'm curious what some of your early like influences were musically. Like what were some of the things when you were growing up that, um, kind of got you turned on to, to becoming a musician? You know what? Now you've just told that story. I feel like my mum's told me a similar story <laughs> about when I was in, you know, her tummy, but I think it was the the neighbors theme tune. I don't know if you know neighbors. Neighbors is a Australian neighbors. soap opera. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Where is that? I would rewatch that in a heartbeat. Oh, it's still going. My dad still watches it religiously. It's it's a funny quirk of his. But um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, neighbors. The neighbors theme song was, I guess, my my first uh, first Amazing. love. And then yeah, I mean, I grew up. My parents listened to a lot of more like soul, soul, soul music. So, you know, when I was a teenager, they'd be playing Luther Vandross all the time in the car. And I, at the time, wow. just thought it was not what I wanted to listen to. You know, I was getting into Led Zeppelin. And, right, exactly. But then learning it's Marcus Miller playing bass on all those songs. And, you know, Luther's fantastic. Um, but yeah, when I, when I was a teenager and getting into music, certainly it was you know, yeah, the Pink Floyd, like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and those kind of bands. I was obsessed with Jeff Buckley as a teenager. Mm. Um, yeah. And just all sorts really. Yeah. Definitely carried on with like Stevie Wonder was probably one that my mom played a lot that, that I really enjoyed. And, um, yeah, just all, all the, you know, usual bands. And it's funny, it feels like it hasn't changed. Like when I teach bass right. students now, it's still Nirvana, it's still Green Day, it's still, the white stripes, it's still all these things. Um, you know, I guess certainly in, in the rock music realm. Um, but yeah, so, so stuff, 
stuff like that really and i and also pop music i mean kylie minogue again again kylie minogue australia i don't know if she's really made it over here but she had a very big song in the uh, she UK. had a couple of big songs here she had um the remake of uh locomotion oh yeah that was her and then she had the big song i can't get you out of my head yeah, yeah. So i was gonna say that was like head. one of the first songs i learned on on bass which is quite funny so yeah it was it was always a great song yeah great song very easy still a great song yeah holds up um for for being a dance song it holds up it's a great it's a great pop song yeah i mean i love i love pop music i think there wasn't i think there wasn't ever really a time when i was a teenager even though i was listening to you know rock bands and kind of going through that phase i don't think there was ever really a moment that i was like i say that there was definitely a moment where i was like against what I thought was like programmed music, you know, I was like, sure. I was very much about, you know, yeah. Guitars and guitar music, but, but I always love pop music. I never stopped enjoying pop music. So yeah. I think it's just the tools. I mean, the tools have changed and like yeah. the, the, what's being used to make, you know, the, the harmonic, you know, accompaniment to a great melody has changed, but I don't know that it's that much different. I think a great melody is still a great melody. I think a great rhythm is still a great rhythm. And I still look for those things, Absolutely. you know, no matter how it's being made. I think one of the things I love about you too, I was, I was thinking about this while you were talking about your influences is you're not somebody that like is really a guitarist that decided to play the bass. You are a bass <laughs> player. Genuinely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just, I meet so few of them. I'm going to talk for a minute. I'm going to brag for a minute about um, uh, my good friend, Ian Miller, who just played on the record up here in uh, Northern California that we just did, who I'd always admired um, for years. And then I just like on a fluke, like three days before the session, I'm like, Hey, can you learn these songs and play them? And he, he nailed it, knocked it out of the park. But nice. he does this thing every couple of days where he take he just picks a song and he videos himself playing bass with basically you mostly hear the bass, but it's all over the map. Like he'll, he'll do like a, a human league song and then he'll do like a, you know, like a, um, a Spencer Davis group song. He does all kinds of stuff, but it's just him sitting playing bass lines. And you just realize how fucking important the bass line is to any great song. Yeah. It's, it's funny that, you know, I guess the guitar is just up the front and it's just more obvious. But I mean, when, when I first picked up a bass, I didn't, no, it was a bass. So right. like, I think this is the thing. I think a lot of, you know, when you're a kid, you learn what a drum kit is, you learn what an electric guitar is, but the the bass, you just think it's another guitar. You, you I don't know. I'd not made the connection of this has got four big strings. I don't, I just, I was, I was 12 right. years old when I started playing the bass. I guess I was quite, quite young still and just hadn't, yeah, just, I just didn't really know what a bass was. How silly is that to admit? But no, um, I, I think it's accurate. Yeah, I think that's it. You just think, oh, well, this is a, another guitar. You don't, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. You don't really realize what it is and what the, uh, well, how it's different. I actually filmed a, a YouTube video that I'll put up on my channel for teaching at some point. But yeah, it was explaining what the bass was and and songs where the bass line was really prominent. You know, like another one bites the dust and things like that. When you go, oh, that's the bass doing that. You know, it's so funny. Right. But yeah, a lot of people maybe just. I haven't learned to appreciate the bass. I think it's just marketing. Like drums are easy, right? For the non-musician, you know, when drums, yeah. Dr- non-musicians, yeah. no drums. Yeah. Guitars, 
non-musicians, no guitars. And I think the problem is, as you said, the bass looks like a guitar and people don't know anything about frequency or, right. you know, uh, feel or, or all the different things. What is, um, what's one of the things you think, uh, people should know about being a bass player that, uh, maybe could inspire somebody to pick, pick the instrument up. Like what, what's one of the, the big things that when you sit and play that you're like, this is what I love the most about this. I think that's a great question. I think, you know, bass players are always, you know, along with drummers that the butt of the joke and the, Oh, it's only got four strings and it's easy. But I think, you know, once you get past that, I think the thing that would inspire people to pick it up is that, I mean, I think there certainly is a sense of, of, you, I actually love the fact that I think bass initially kind of is quite easy to get to get on board with. You know, you can pick it up, and I always joke that you can, you know, learn a song in a day. Probably, like you can pick it up and you can get a, a, some sort of sound out of it. Yeah. I think I think guitar there's a bit of a you know steep learning curve at the beginning, but um, so I think yeah, if, if people ask me what that they want to learn an instrument, I always say, give the bass a go because you're going to have so much fun. You're going to get something out of it immediately. And then you're going to realize that there's all these songs with these really cool bass parts. And it's, yeah. it's just this cool understated part that you get to play in the band. And, you know, again, so coming back to the drummer bass thing, I think, I think a lot of why people choose their instruments is, is maybe because of their personality, you know, but, um, and bass is often well suited to to maybe people that that are happy just not sh you know having to show off doing a big guitar solo. But at the same time, I think you can you can show off with it, you know, if you'd like to. And yeah. it's just it's just so much fun. I just think, yeah. I mean, obviously, I I love bass. I just think it's a great time. We were in um, we were on the Airstream tour last summer, and. Uh, we ended up in this like town. I, th I feel like it was like Omaha, Nebraska. I might be wrong. I don't remember somewhere in like Dakotas or Nebraska, somewhere there. And I went to this like fantastic burger joint and I was sitting there kind of mapping out a video for one of my songs. And the, the booth that I was sitting in somehow was just, you know how there's always a room in the mixing room where the bass is just mm -hmm. perfect. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's mm -hmm. like, it's not a true representation of the mix you're listening to. It's just literally you're hearing all the low frequencies. The booth I was in was that booth. <laughs> and I I sat there, I sat there probably an extra beer or two in 45 minutes and just listened to all these incredible bass lines from songs that I'd never thought about that the bass line was holding them down. Like lots of great 80s stuff. Um, during that time when like synth bass was really becoming prominent, but you realize that even when there's a synth bass, there's probably a live bass underneath it. Right. You know, like some of that, like, you know, synth pop from the eighties, mm -hmm. um, a bunch of great, they played a bunch of great, like seventies, like rock that I hadn't thought about how dramatic the guitars were like these big sweeping guitar chords. But what's holding the whole thing down is this melody underneath. And I think the, the question I have, it's not really a question, but I'm curious as a bass player, how it affects when you're writing melodies as a singer. Like, do you feel the idea that the bass is so close in some ways to the voice because it is a, a monophonic 
usually a monophonic uh, thing. Has that affected like when you're sitting down writing like melodies for the the Ainsley stuff? Yeah, it's a good question. I think actually until more recently, I wasn't um, I wasn't so hyper aware of what I was doing on the bass for Ainsley songs. You know, I was writing them on guitar or keys and yeah, it was almost a bit of a separation for a moment, just perhaps because it was a separation for me, you know, doing my own stuff and, and stepping away from, from being a bass player. But, um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. And, um, yeah, more recently I've, I've definitely tried to like bring, bring the, bring the bass lines in. And I think, yeah, you can have a lot of fun with like the bass doubling the vocal as well almost, but, um, uh-huh. but yeah, I mean, I think the, I, you know, I think of the, the bass being the bottom and the, you know, like the, the cake and the, and the vocal being, you know, I guess not, not that icing because there's other things that should be icing. <laughs> it's my cake analogy. I used to be in a band with the drummer and she used to always use this cake analogy, you know, that the, like the drums and the bass is the, yeah. the, the, you know, the cake, the cake and everything else is kind of the icing on top. But, but yeah, certainly I think, um, yeah, it's interesting to think about how they can work together. But I think mostly actually I have them working quite separately, but maybe that's just cause mm. it's like something I need to separate in my brain. I don't know. Yeah, I'll be more conscious about it in the future. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think that that's fair because, you know, sometimes, you know, one one is working in one aspect of their art and then they move to another one and they sort of want to do that for the reason of getting away from whatever, yeah. you know, and I think that's fair. I think like I remember reading an interview with Phil Collins like years ago and he talked about how the reason he felt he he never felt like he was a great singer but he said the reason he felt people uh, latched on to the melodies and the songs he wrote was because he sang from a very percussive place. Mm. And I always thought that was very interesting. He said, everything I do comes from the drums. He goes, whether it seems like it or not, he's like, when I'm writing a melody, he's like, I write from the idea of rhythm. So he didn't write from the idea of here's the words I want to say, you know, he yeah. would sit there and go, da, 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 you know, he wrote yeah, from a rhythmic yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, as a, like when I was a kid, like I thought Phil Collins was the, was the fucking shit. I'd be like this, there's no one better. There is no one better. Like when I was 11, Phil Collins was the penultimate musician, which is funny to think about. But when you're 11, it, you know, I mean, he's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I don't, you know, I still, you know, anyone that wants to shit on Phil Collins, I'm going to go ahead and, and, <laughs> and tell them why they're wrong, but limited knowledge. Okay, so I I want to move out of this the, the bass stuff. You know, it's been covered. You've been in Bass Player Magazine. You've been in what? What else have you been in? Musician, guitar for the practicing musician. I feel like you've been in like every great magazine right now. <laughs> we were just reminiscing a minute ago of actually a time recently where, um, yeah, I was I was due to be in Bass Magazine and I was on tour. This was just before lockdown, and I was on tour, and I was. Um, it happened to, you know, be in a Barnes and Noble, but I thought, oh, great. Excuse me, knocking the mic. Um, I thought, great, while I'm here, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can find the base magazine. And I couldn't find it. And I was looking through some other magazines and one that, that 
looked kind of cool. I opened up and flicked through it for a, just a minute and then saw <laughs> the my takeover. face. Yeah, is that the magazine? <laughs> I, for, I forgot the name of it. The Big Takeover. Saw my face yep. looking, looking back at me, which, which uh, <laughs> you know, I suppose a lot of artists and celebrities get that all the time, but that was my uh, sort of first experience <laughs> of not... I feel like, you know, I'm, I've been in stuff and I expect to see myself when, when you don't expect to see yourself. It, yeah, it was quite funny. It was quite a shock and just, uh, you know, showed them <laughs> the people I was with. <laughs> look, look, I'm in this magazine. And uh, that yeah, was, I think, I think that was the ad for the tour that didn't happen. Yeah. So, so sorry to clarify if we missed out that detail. Yeah. The, no, I was in the magazine that's okay. With, with Greg and, and the boys. <laughs> so yeah, it was great. But I want... But that that's the big takeover. I want to give it a plug. And Jack Rabbit, the publisher of the big takeover, I actually did uh, two episodes. It's it's one giant episode, but I cut it into two episodes for this podcast. I was going to say, I thought I saw his name when I looked through your podcast yeah. earlier. Oh, that's really Jack, cool. Jack is yeah. Jack is a he's he's a legendary uh, supporter of of the rock and the the mm. DIY spirit. So um, he's a great guy, and uh, I'm glad you had that moment because. How often yeah, do you Yeah, I mean, get I picked to... up the magazine because I thought it looked cool. <laughs> That's so, so weird that you just yeah, randomly... doing a great job. <laughs> here's, yeah. here's you who have, so, who have, yeah, who have been... Fun, that was a fun moment. I love that your face has been seen by millions of people on television and, and at, at festivals, and yet, you know, you opened the big takeover, you know, uh, who, it, that probably has like maybe a quarter of a million people that read it, and you see your face. I love that, that that was a thing for you. Well, that's it. Yeah. The chances of me actually being in a Barnes and Noble looking through magazines was pretty slim. So yeah, it was amazing. Well, the universe works in mysterious ways, I do believe. Yeah, it really does. I like that. You what? always say that. The universe delivers. The, you know, you, the universe provides always. Uh, just you know, That's it. Provides. Sorry. That's my favorite catchphrase of yours. Switching topics. I, I know you've been in LA since the lockdown. And uh, I want to give kudos to LA because I think LA uh, originally, at least during the first few months, everyone was praising LA for not spreading this this virus. Now it sounds like it's been even worse where everyone's staying inside. Talk a little about what it's been like because I know you know when I came to visit you uh, down there, you you know you took me there was there was a little scene going on the Sunset Strip and there were you know you were you were vibing with a lot of uh, other performing musicians. What sort of happened uh, to that scene that you know of um, with the whole you know kind of shutdown of venues? like is there are there things that are keeping it alive? Is there hope that things will come back? Gosh, yeah, when I think back to that day we had all those couple of days we had, yeah what a different time what a treat um yeah we had a great time we went to the viper room and yeah, yeah just to be yeah out watching live music chit chat that was people. in that was in january that was like the end of january yeah gosh it was yeah what yeah. a fun time um yeah well i mean i think actually one of those when we met and we did a little walk i don't know if we walked past when one venue that I pointed out called the satellite but that's unfortunately closed now so I mean this is it yeah um obviously everybody's suffering hard in this pandemic and yeah venues included it's funny I've seen people like the guy who who runs that jam that we went to in the Viper room. I know he's been doing lots of things online, like, you know, getting into his YouTube channel. This is it. Like people are just 
you know, that's it. You, you're not out in the bars anymore. You were doing it online. So yeah, I've certainly seen that happen. Yeah. Um, everybody's been doing their live streams. Uh, I know some venues in LA have been the hosts of some live streaming shows. I know that, ho that Hotel Cafe did that. Um, there was something called Uncancelled Festival that, that utilized a lot of music venues that way. But um, yeah, obviously it's one big struggle right now. So yeah, I think it's really interesting to see what people are doing and I'm really interested in predicting how this is going to change I mean the world yeah. but but the but the music industry in the, in the long run because yeah I think to begin with we hoped it might go away rather quickly but it did not so yeah yeah it's um it's really interesting I'm really trying to yeah hope hope that the music industry is going to change in some positive ways, but I, I'm not sure what that looks like yet. I don't know if you've got any, any, any ideas, any theories. Well, I think it's a, a couple, I have a couple of things. I have a few theories. I do. Yes. Uh, first off, I think what we're looking at is we have uh governorship leadership uh, that doesn't understand the power of community in general. So what we have is we have these leaders that are making decisions based on these sort of uh, um, non-social uh, uh, ways of looking at, at the world. Instead of looking at it uh, inclusively, they're looking at it exclusively, which is, I think, an easy place to land if you've never had to experience... Uh, sitting with 20,000 people listening to the chemical brothers on mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. So what we need to do, <laughs> what we need to do is vote those people out and we need to vote in people that understand the power that happens in that collective uh, moment, the power of feeling. And I mean, feeling uh, a low end or a bass drum uh, with, with, thousands of other people at the same time and realizing the idea that we're all in this together. And until yeah. we get that, until we get that uh, from the people making decisions, this is what we're going to have. It's kind of shitty that I think we had, uh, we all got a little, there's a song by Nine Inch Nails, uh, not to bring Nine Inch Nails up again, but <laughs> um, it's called We Got Ahead of Ourselves. Uh, it was on a couple EPs ago. And it's kind of what happened. Like we all were thinking everything was kind of like we were getting socially together. We we're going to figure out climate change. We we're going to figure out how the, instead of having like, you know, a shit ton of rich people and a shit ton of poor people and no middle class, we're going to, you know, separate, you know, we're, we're going to spread things out again. And we really did get ahead of ourselves in thinking that that was where we were going. And what's happened is we've just taken this complete fucking left turn, which for a certain very small minority of people is, is very lucrative to, to have, uh, you know, businesses shutting down, have, uh, artists be destroyed, have people that we love that own bars or, or, or art galleries or, or cinemas or theaters, all those people, uh, are, are, are being marginalized to the point where they think they should do some quote unquote, something else when there's nothing else for them to do. So, 
to me, and this is, I, I never thought I would be this person, but people have to vote. They got to get out and they got to vote because it's all we got. We don't really have another mechanism. Um, even though, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we get to guns and violence after that, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, I was going to say it's obviously, yeah, very discouraging when you know you have a government that, that won't support so many people, you know, not just people in the arts, but just people struggling in general. Um, so, you know, you hope that you can rely on people to, you know, in, like you said, in communities to support small businesses, to support people in the arts. But again, if the way we run the country is making it hard for people to make a living anyway, then how are those people going to support, you know, people in the arts or, or donate to organizations, you know? So yeah, it does, it does need to come from, from some bigger change. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really, yeah, it's really tricky. I had a moment, um, probably two or three months into this whole thing where I just took a step back and I said, how fortunate have I been to travel as much as I have traveled? Like I am one of the people that constantly was going someplace else because I loved it. I love meeting new people. I love that synchronicity. I love that like idea of something can happen that I didn't expect. And so many people uh, are, are not able to do that. Like so many people are financially not able to do it, but they also haven't been encouraged to do it based on their uh, upbringing or the culture that they, they grew in. So I have been on this weird track, Vicky, where I'm trying to get more people to get out of their heads. <laughs> and that, that's like every, like, you know, all the people I've reconnected with from high school and college and, 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 and even if it's as simple as like, you should read this book or you should, you know, you should maybe watch this movie, um, just to try to get people to think outside of what's, what, what's literally physically becoming the prison that we're all stuck in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really great mission. I think yeah, I saw an interview with with another bass player called Divinity Rocks, and and this was a few months ago. So I think certainly we can agree it's true now. But she said, if you come out the other side of this pandemic, not changed, like if you haven't grown in any way, then you've done something wrong. And I think, yeah, I, th I think that's really true. I mean, I think for so many of us creatives, we have no other choice but to change you know our whole world has has changed our day-to-day -day existence has changed you know and I think about what how other people's lives has changed during the, the, the pandemic so you know for some people it's maybe not different they're doing the same job but they're just doing it from home so they're, they're feeling frustrated that they're out of the office and not seeing their colleagues and and then not getting to go to the bars on the weekend or anything like that but again I think for everybody it's has to have been hugely eye-opening and yeah just to look back at sort of your old life and think gosh you know what was I doing wrong what was I doing right what are the things that I miss what are the things that that could be improved upon you know what hadn't I thought about I mean and then I think politics as well I think um 
and, and of course with Black Lives Matter, I think everything that's kind of happened this year has made everybody zoom out, hopefully, and, yeah. and consider everything in their lives. So yeah, I think that's great. What have you been recommending to people or telling people they should oh, check out? Well, well, funny. I, uh, I have a few, uh, greatest hits that I like to tell people. Um, from a movie standpoint, uh, I always tell people to watch 2001 Space Odyssey. Ooh, it's on, um, I, need, I need to watch it. It's on my list. I haven't seen it. So Yeah, you got to watch it. Um, watch it that. is, as soon as we get off the phone. it is, especially for this, for this kind of short attention span generation, it might be hard. Um, there's a lot of non, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of long pauses. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, the second movie, which is actually full of a lot of long pauses is There Will Be Blood. Um, have you seen that one? I have, but a you while ago, I could it. see it again. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. I think you should rewatch it under the under the guise of everything you know about what's happening right now. Yeah. Just if you reframe it uh with what's going on in the world um right now. And then, you know, I just I love great um, you know, science fiction. I just rewatched I've been rewatching uh, uh Ex Machina, which is about AI mm-hmm. coming in. Um, and, uh, devs, which is by the same writer. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a short TV series, uh, also about sort of AI and the future and stuff like that. I think, I think the more people can get into futuristic thinking, like the more they think about what's coming, the easier it is for them to accept where they are like right now, (laughs) you know, um, how about you? Like, have you recommended any books to people or movies? I was, I was, or- yeah, I was going to say there's me. I'm sort of, I was talking on a, <laughs> on a grander, like existential crisis scale of thinking uh, what to talk to people. But, <laughs> but yeah, movie, movie recommendations and all that as well. Um, well, let me, let me just say, I, I, I don't feel like, I feel like that's the easiest way to get people to maybe start, you know, kind of like push the old gray matter around a little yeah. bit. No, but I see your you point know? to watch those sort yeah. of sci-fi things now to think yeah. about where yeah. we are headed. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's excellent. No, I'm just taking the mickey out of myself because I got a bit, you know, I've lived in California a year and I'm just very much like, you know, you talk about <laughs> your five-year plans and what the hell am I doing with my life? And you know, what are you spending? What the time hell are you on? doing with your life, Vicky? No, Vicky I don't Warwick. mean like that. I mean, I mean, everybody, I think hopefully everybody's had a bit of a, what the hell am I doing with my life? Not in a bad way, but just in a, like, you, like I said, you know, yeah, you've got to come out the other side of this change, like realizing what, what was good and what was bad. And just having that time well, with your own brain for a while. Yes. And here, guess what? Here's what matters. Take care of yourself. Yeah. do the best you can. And then that, you know, push that out to others Yeah. instead of all that anger and that like vitriol and like mm-hmm. all the, all the negativity we've been seeing. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, ug- it's so ugly. Mm-hmm. When again, like you said, community, I think that's the thing that um, hopefully has grown to be stronger out of this pandemic is that, um, yeah, how important community is, like you said, in within your industry within your physical neighborhood like whatever it is i think yeah i mean i'm a i'm a people person but yeah people are the things that that will get you through um yeah but yeah but to get a bit less dramatic book recommendations <laughs> film recommendations um i've been watching peep show quite religiously which is a, a british um comedy um, okay so i recommend that it's yes yeah, it's, it's a 
British humor, but I think it's funny. It's on Hulu. Um, 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 what else? I've not really watched much telly, I must say. I don't really know what I've been doing. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so, so much to watch. People. You can watch thousands of things. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll give you one yeah, that's really. Tried- there's one that's left field that you should check out. It's, I was gonna say, um, yeah, give them to me because clearly I need to. I need to. Hear there's a. <laughs> there's. I'd love to hear your opinion. There's a. I think it's on Netflix. Uh, but it's. Do you know who David Foster is? He's a producer. He's a huge producer, like 80, 70s, eighties. Did all the schlock shit. Like did like Celine Dion and Whitney Houston. Amazing. And I'm not kidding. Like you got to watch this because. It's one of those things where I just need you to watch it. He, I don't know who he knew to make this documentary, but the guy is clearly kind of an egotistical asshole. And the music, <laughs> the music that he gave the world, I wouldn't say was necessarily uh, cultural. It was all very commodity. Like he took Chicago from being this like, kind of cool 70s rock funk uh, horn band into like the 80s synth craptastic ballad band. You know, he's one of those guys. He is that guy. Okay. But what's, what's the documentary uh, called? But, but here's what's amazing about it as a musician that I think you'll love is he's still alive. So they interview him. Like I love when they do a biography on someone and the person is actually interviewed. Like the second one I'll say along the same lines is the Garth Brooks biography that's on A&E right now that just came out like last month. Just watch both of these and you just, you get this, you, you just get this feeling about why people do what they do, especially musicians, artistic people from this high level commodity space. And it's, it's almost comical. And I okay. think you would enjoy, you would enjoy both of those, uh, those biographies that are out right now. What was the first one called again? So it's David Foster. That's just the name of it. That's his name. It's called like, I don't know, like a nugget of wisdom or something. It's got some <laughs> stupid fucking. Okay, great, great. No, I love, I love <laughs> and, documentary. Right. And the Garth Brooks one also, which they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Like you'll, you'll feel two sides of the same coin on them. Um, but anyway, I like to end every episode with what I call the grateful eight and there are eight questions for you to answer, uh, off the cuff. Um, you only have to think that hard. Are you ready? <laughs> you say I don't have to think that hard, but <laughs> yeah, don't um, worry. I am ready. I love a segment. Hit me. Okay. This is, we end every, every episode with this question one. What is the greatest concert you've ever seen? Oh God, that's a hard question. You can't answer that quickly. <laughs> I actually don't know. I'm really bad with like favorites and people ask. Like, has to, has to come favorite? top of head, top of mind, top of mind. God, what comes, what comes first? I'm just drawing a blank. Um, oh God. Um, holy fuck. I can't <laughs> think of anything. I, got, like, I just can't. Sorry. I'm so overwhelmed. Um, how many um, concerts are going through your head? Just pick one. Just so I mean, one that goes to my head, but I hate, I don't want this to be my answer, but I remember watching, um, 
Tame Impala side of stage at a, a big festival in Belgium once, and it was just so atmospheric. It was it was just a great show for the atmosphere. They were all wearing these these lab coats, and obviously they're a great live band. But you know, mm. I, I'm not like a big Tame Impala fan, but I just remember that being a really great live show. Oh gosh, I mean, I've seen. Oh gosh, I'm just really struggling. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I've been, <to> so- <laughs> been to so many shows; they're just all such a blur. Um, but what is what is the greatest one, Vicky? The greatest. Just, I'm gonna have to like think about this for a week and then record it, and you can just insert okay. it here. <laughs> um, God, All right, so we'll move many. on. We'll move on to question two. Sorry, that was a crap answer. Hopefully, the we next. Will in, we'll oh, no, it's this. okay. <laughs> Hopefully, the next question you'll you'll it'll be a little less taxing for you. <laughs> question two. Question two. What is the greatest? What is the greatest meal? you've ever eaten. Okay. This one I can actually answer rather quickly. See, I told you you didn't know how difficult it was for my brain. Um, no, this one I can answer fairly quickly. One of the standout meals of my life was a bowl of ramen in Tokyo, a restaurant called Afuri, A-F-U-R-I. And, um, I was actually in the middle of a U.S. tour when I was recommending it to a friend, and sorry, these are quick answers. I'm going into a whole story now. No, but no, ba- Basically, it. I was recommending it to a friend who was going to Tokyo and I went on their website and realized they had a restaurant in Portland. And I was in the middle of a tour. I was going to be in Portland in like five days. And I was so excited. And I went there twice and I got to eat my favorite meal again. Uh, was it as good in Portland as it was in Japan? So the first time I went, I actually ordered the, cause when I was in Japan, you ordered from, um, a like machine, you just pressed the button and they <laughs> gave you, they, they thrust a bit of paper towards you and you had to pick something from the paper as well. So I had no idea what I'd ordered and I was trying to figure it out, um, by looking back at pictures. So actually when I went to the restaurant in Portland, I ordered not quite the exact thing that I had. It was still lovely, but so then I went back for a second time and then I got it right. And then it was <laughs> It was as, yeah, it was as good. Obviously the the atmosphere is better in Tokyo, but no, it was outstanding. Best ramen in the world, in my opinion. Question three. What is the greatest moment you've had since starting your business slash becoming a musician? Say, say, <laughs> say that again. I think I was daydreaming what about is- ramen. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I love it. I mean, that's kind of where we're at, right? Like we live in these weird memories. We live in the memory and we're like, will I ever get there again? And that's what's fucked right now. Anyway, I don't want to get all negative. I feel like I went down a a dark path earlier. Question three, what is the greatest moment you've had since starting your business, which would be becoming a bass player? Greatest moment. Gosh. One of... Two of my more memorable gigs, <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Two of my more memorable gigs have been playing, uh, both with Charlie XCX, playing at Lollapalooza Festival in Chicago. And I just have this wonderful picture from it. So maybe it's that as well that really like paints this good memory in my mm. head. Um playing that festival just to a sea of people and you've got the skyline of Chicago in front of you right. playing to seas of people is, is like my drug. Like just, I want more people every time. So that's oh, a really wonderful memory. And isn't, 
Yeah, that's weird. That's so true. Like, it's such a drug. The more people you play to, the more you want to play to. It's a drug. It's a drug. I always, I always feel that I'm exactly where I'm meant to be when I'm like on mm. stage to lots of people. It's very, it's very, it's a very affirming experience for me. Um, mm. Which I, that, maybe that sounds wanky. I don't mean it to sound like that, but I just, I'm no, just enjoying. It I'm just enjoying myself so much. I'm just like, yeah, this yeah. is this is this is exactly where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else right now. So, yeah, those moments are always special. I think another one of those was at Glastonbury on, in the John Peel tent with with Charlie as well. Just a really special moment. Glastonbury in general, that whole weekend, I got to to I got hung out before the show. We went up a few days early and camped. It's just such a magical place. We had such a nice time. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been so many moments. There was another one we played on a boat, like next to Sydney Harbour Bridge in Sydney. And I'm just like playing a gig and I look to my right and there's the Sydney Harbour Bridge at sunset. And it was just wow. like, how the hell have I got here? Right. Um, so yes, there's definitely been some incredible moments like that. So many moments though. And, and things that maybe aren't as grandiose as that as well, you know, just, just writing songs and people telling me that they like them. Question four, what is the greatest compliment you've ever been given? I'm trying to think of one phrase. I mean, earlier when you said how much you liked me, that's, that's a big compliment as well. As, as well. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, you know, there's people you meet in your career that, that I, I did a tour recently um, with Tom Bailey we're opening up for uh, Culture Club. And yeah, just having the guys in that band like come up and tell me, you know, what, what a great show and how great I was. You know, just things like that. I think just having, you know, praise from other musicians in general is always really nice. I'm trying to think of something specific though. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty specific if you're on yeah. tour with Culture Club and they're loving you. Yeah. Talk about great bass, great bass lines in that band. Oh my God. So great. Loved watching their show every night. And then I bet also my friend Sterling who plays drums with the B-52s who are also on that bill. Like, yeah. And, you know, yeah. Having compliments from him as well. Just, just, yeah. Just being reaffirmed by, by musicians that I respect is always fantastic. Question five. What is the greatest time of year for you? I'm very bad. If these are meant to be quick, quick fire, sorry. I like, I really think deeply about everything and I'm like, give you like a five minute answer. I'm really sorry. Part of, part of why I love you. <laughs> Favorite time of year is, um, the, I was going to say fall, but then kick myself because autumn is what the proper word is. Uh, autumn. I think, and it depends where you are, but no, I think that autumn, I think everywhere is lovely. In New York, it's the well, fucking best. In I was going to say, we're both ex-New Yorkers and we know that fall in New York is the greatest thing oh, ever. It's just the best. Mm, leather weather. Leather weather. Oh, le love leather. Love leather, leather weather. weather. It is not leather weather here in LA right now. <laughs> no. It's, Moving yeah. to California, that's the worst part. I had to... I. I, my, my leather jacket that I had for 10 years in New York city fell apart as a good leather jacket does. And when I moved out here, I was like, I'll get a new one and I just don't need it anymore. And it kind of sucks. I literally looked I at wish my I needed closet it. today. I looked at my right. closet and I thought 
I'm probably not going to need you for another two months still. I mean, it does get cool here in the, in the evenings, which is nice. So you got to try, you got to try pretty hard. You got to try pretty hard for the leather in California. Yeah. It does get chilly in the winter, but again, that's LA, LA chili, but, um, yeah, LA chili. no, at some point 68. soon, it is funny. I do still dress like I'm, I'm from New York. I remember I met some friends. It was January, I think, or February, but I was wearing like a black roll neck, like a, a tweed fabric, like checkered skirt and like thick tights and like big boots and, I've, you know, like I'm in New York and my leather jacket and then yeah. my friends have turned up and they're like in like, yeah, shorts and a baggy t-shirt. And I'm like, oh, but I don't know. I think I'm going to keep dressing like that. I don't, you know. <laughs> I When I moved here, as you know, I moved here to work at Facebook, which is, you know, its own story. And uh, I wore black every day yeah. to the to the office. And this is like, you know, tech company, Silicon Valley. And my nickname that they gave me was Johnny Cash. That's so funny. But that's what you do in New York, isn't it? You live well, in black. Yeah. And I, but I hated it for two reasons. One, I'm like, how do you know who Johnny Cash is? You, you stupid tech people. <laughs> and, and two, if you really knew how cool Johnny Cash was, you would never call anyone Johnny Cash. Because only Johnny, <laughs> only Johnny Cash is Johnny Cash. Don't do that to Johnny Cash. Don't That's really don't funny. don't don't shit on Johnny Cash by saying I look like Johnny Cash. It's it's a compliment though. That that, <sighs> that is a nice compliment. I get it. It was a great compliment for the for the from the audience that was giving it. Yeah, and I I was appreciative. Yeah. Question six: What is the greatest year of your life so far? Assuming it hasn't happened yet. Oh God, I I would say it hasn't happened yet. I'd like to I'd like to think that. Let's say the second greatest year. So assuming the the greatest is yet to come, what's the second greatest year? I mean, it had its ups and downs, but I, I 2015 was a pretty good year. Yeah, it's pretty good. I what was good about it? I was touring a lot with Charlie, traveling the world a lot. I decided I would go and live in New York for six months and then fell in love with it. So yeah, it was quite a formative year, I would say, but maybe in hindsight, it wasn't the best. I don't know. <laughs> 2015. 2015 was a good year. Yeah. But I do believe my best year hasn't happened yet. I agree. Question seven. What is your greatest regret? Oh gosh, what a question. Yeah, Greg, these aren't quick fire questions. These are like <laughs> life. Are Come on, like quick answers, questions. quick answers. Biggest regret. Um, not investing in Zoom or something. Like, <laughs> I wish, honestly, I wish I'd been better with my money. I think there's maybe things I know now. I'd say that, but I mean, I don't know if I'd be any richer. I just would have known how I got skin. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, some some sort of investment, some sort of like saving my money a little bit better. But hey, what are we going to do? I moved to New York and I blew it all. <laughs> You're doing great. Last question. <laughs> question eight. What is the greatest advice you've gotten or can give? Yeah, again, not quick fire. These are deeply thought provoking. <laughs> the best advice I can give, actually the best advice I can give is that don't ignore your gut. If something mm. doesn't, feel, I, I know it's like cliche, 
No, it's I, good. I think of all the bad situations I've been in, you know, whether it's been bands or relationships or whatever. If if something just doesn't feel right in your in your bones, in your gut, and that feeling, you know, is with you often, then as much as you try and fight it, it's probably not mm-hmm. going to go away, and it probably means something. So you should investigate that and find out what what that means. So yeah, I, trust, trust your gut. I think that is a, a fantastic answer. And and believe it or not, I've I've done like, I don't know, 20 episodes so far of this podcast. And I don't think anyone said that. And really? I think that's great advice. Everyone's always like, be yourself. Like, that's the big one. Like, no one else can be you. And I'm like, that's great. But that's not really advice. But then what? What do you do with that? I'm like, right. I don't really like myself. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. No, I'm joking. But yeah, no, I think be yourself and, and work. I think work with people that that you like and you get on with. I think that's the thing that has been become clear to me even more as I've gotten yeah. older. It's just who, who I work with and is, is oh, so important. hundred percent. Don't, I mean, I think money is a lucrative reason to do things, but if, if you're sacrificing a piece of yourself to work with someone you can't stand, it's, it can be very difficult oh, as God. someone who's done it multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather be poor working with people that I love than, rich and hating every minute. So that's me. <laughs> Vicky, is there anything we didn't discuss that you want to, you want to throw out there to the, to the universe? Um, on this, I'll, I'll on do this a little shameless, I'll do a little shameless plug um, that do I'm going to be putting out my own podcast very soon. I've got a, a blog that the website, you can read some written articles. It's called where are we again.com. And I love to chat to people about touring, which is, you know, a fond memory now. So, yeah. um, yeah, I try and uncover all the, all the juicy tour stories. So yes, very soon I'll be doing a podcast with that and there'll be more interviews and bits and pieces up on the site very soon. I think, I think I remember a drunken night at the end of the tour in New Jersey, like sitting, looking at the ocean, you were telling me about this podcast. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've okay. been talking about so it even, for bloody you, ages. Even even percolating on a while, on a while for a you while. Know what, you know, it is. I've, always, I've always got lots of ideas and things I want to do, and then I get busy working, yeah. which is great. It's hard. No, it's hard. I think. It, yeah, I. Um, it's funny this pandemic. It's like you know, I've always sort of said to myself, I just need to like lock myself in a room for bloody months. So you know, this pandemic is is a great time to do those projects, but. Um, you know, I've also, there's also been lots of other stuff going on, you know, trying to survive and not get sick and all these things, but it is happening. The podcast is going to finally see the light of day. So I'm really excited. Well, I'm going to say a few things. First, I think it, people are hungry for those kinds of stories right now. Yeah. Um, and you have a wonderful voice for podcast. Thank you. People have told me you this do. before and that's why I thought, yeah. that's why I thought I would start doing doing it. And I also think musicians are pretty bad at um articulating themselves and it's very hard to <laughs> no, I don't mean that. That sounds yeah. Bad. But I mean it's very hard no. to um capture somebody's essence in a written interview. Yeah. I just think it's so much more fun to chat. So yeah, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to start well, chatting. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. Thank you. I'm excited. Road stories. 
Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. I wish we could have done this in person. I hope to get to LA as soon as it's possible. I have a a backlog of fun that I'm waiting to unleash on my friends. So (laughs) I would love to. (laughs) I would love to unleash some of it in your presence. Yes, I hope so. Very soon. Thanks, Vicky. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Vicky. Check out She Plays Bass. Dot com. She'll be telling you all about that new podcast soon. And uh, if you like what you hear here, subscribe at iTunes or follow us on Spotify, Anchor FM, limitedmileage.com. And remember, do not shit on Phil Collins. Limited Mileage.